lifetime Bay Area resident, a um, few years in Los Angeles that we'll talk about a little bit of that today. Okay. And that we forgive you for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I never unpacked my boxes. That ca- Yeah, absolutely. I, four years I did there and I, all my boxes were still packed because I knew I was going to come back here. That was Peter Hartlob, the San Francisco Chronicle's pop culture critic. But to think of Peter only in that way is to sell him so short. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Peter's podcast will actually be a three-parter. In today's episode, part one, Peter will begin to tell the story of his experiences with the San Francisco Medical Examiner's Office back in 1999. Here's Peter. It's going to start in L.A. Okay. Um, I was in the worst job of my career, far worse than anything I've had before and since. Um, I had gone down to L.A. because there was a job available when when O.J. happened. uh, I was a sports reporter and wanted to get into something different. um, And O.J. uh, caused this big upheaval in a wire service down in Los Angeles, and they needed someone quick. And with no experience, I went and became a court reporter covering mostly celebrity stuff for a little wire service down there. Um, went from there to the Los Angeles Daily News where I just hated my job. And I felt like I was doing such a poor job at it that I was going to lose my job. And I was very scared. It was a tough time to be a journalist. And I wanted to get back up to the Bay Area. So the examiner was hiring. A paper I used to work for. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is, I think we all have it. We, we all have. We all do <laughs> yeah. our tour. Yeah. Um, this is 1999 when it was still the Hearthstone oh, yeah. Examiner. Yep, yep. And there were a lot of rumors about the Examiner folding because it was the afternoon paper. Mm-hmm. It was clear that the Examiner and Chronicle were not going to both survive. Right. And a lot of people in the Examiner were leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were hiring a bunch of young writers Um a lot of them inexperienced um, because they needed to get the stories written and everybody was leaving and your prospects weren't that good. Getting hired, even in the interview process, everybody was telling me, we're a union shop, we are probably going to either close or the Chronicle's going to buy us and we'll either all lose our jobs or we'll be kept by seniority and you will have been here two months. (laughs) But I took the job anyway because I wanted to get up in Mm -hmm. San Francisco. And um, uh, my family was here. Uh, My grandfather just died and I had gotten to come up one day to say goodbye to him. I it just it was in my head that I needed to get back here. Back here. Where, where exactly were you from originally, or is it? I, I grew up in Burlingame. Okay. So Sam Trans was yeah. my uh, yes bus of choice, and I I spent a lot of time in San Francisco. Sure. Um, so I took the job. I was a courtroom reporter up here, um, but a lot of us were doing a lot of general assignment type stuff. I covered cops too, and I had it in my head that. I was going to be a short timer if I didn't do something to impress right. the leadership here quick. Right. Um, I wanted them to, you know, there were little loopholes. They could make me a columnist or they could make me an investigative reporter. And that would save me from the guillotine that was going to hit my head because, sale. you know, it, it was pretty much accepted that, you know, something was going to happen. And there was n- very few scenarios that I keep my job. Right. So I was pitching big stories when I came in, Mm -hmm. and the one that really landed, it was about two months after I got there in 1999, was um, 
I convinced the medical examiner's office in San Francisco, which had gotten some bad PR, to let me do ride-alongs with them. Okay. And I convinced my editors to give me a significant amount of time to write the story, and then I did probably 70, 80% of it on my own time. What was the bad PR that the medical examiner's office got? Sorry, that I, I I'm laughing. It, it, could wasn't, be <laughs> it wasn't something, you know, like they switched bodies or anything. Right. I think it was more of a fiscal issue. Okay. Um, Boyd Stevens was the medical examiner at the time. He's a okay. legend, um, but had been working, as I found out, you know, basically with a shoestring. I mean, I went in there, and this is 99, so it's not as shocking, but they had all their records backed up on an Apple IIe with floppy disks. So, okay. I mean, it was like they were... So doing autopsies on the cheap? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they had 12, 12 people working there, and, wow. and, you know, there are thousands of cops and firefighters, sure. and, and they have a big job. So it yeah. was... So I think they were thinking... I. I I didn't expect them to let me do it, but I think they were thinking, you know, we want people to see we're doing more of it with less. And even if this is a hit piece, it may come out good for us. Right. And I hit it off with a, um, the guy who was doing their PR and their communications for them. And, and uh, they opened the gates for me. I mean, they said, we will let you do a ride along. And then as I spent more time, they let me do more and more pretty soon. Um, a couple of medical examiners who I'm following around are like, you know, they've got my pager number. Right. <laughs> Pagers. This is 99. Yes. Did you guys uh, do the leet speak or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. 911. <laughs> yeah. um, and they were paging me with, wow. with stuff. Like when they're out on a case, like come out here. Um, so I will say, uh, you know, I thought this story would be. You know, I'd see some things. Maybe I'm down in the medical examiner's office watching them do autopsies. I didn't really know what they did. I mean, it was like mm. I watched Quincy, you know. So I thought, <laughs> well, they're some probably going to be, you know, investigating one case for three weeks. And maybe I'll see a dead body. Right. And it was not that. I mean, it was the medical examiner equivalent of triage. They were okay. doing many, many cases in a day. Um, and having to notify next of kin mm -hmm. as I discovered and I wrote in my piece I mean it it wasn't just scraping dead bodies off the ground which is what More I thought it was it, it, it was you're a priest right. you are a um you know you're a counselor so you're an investigator who, who lets the family know you I mean, let the family know and you have yeah. to find the family I mean they right. kind of did everything it, it was um an incredible job and um and I hooked up with these two guys who I ended up they were the ones I started following around. One of them, Graham Cowley, uh, from Ireland, uh, had been a, a done some kind of autopsy technician work in his hometown, and he was seeing too many people he knew coming through town, so he moved out here okay. to become a medical examiner. I, I, I describe him. <laughs> I describe him like a. He looked like like an Eric Clapton roadie. Okay, know, grizzled beard thick Irish accent and um, really colorful, mm -hmm. uh, really personal. He was a sensitive soul mm -hmm. and is a sensitive soul. I don't know that he's gone. And then Bill Tolliver, who uh, was, a, I think, a longtime San Franciscan. He had worked in a funeral home and then mm -hmm. taken this job. I think the benefits were better and the pay was better. And he ja was okay seeing his friends and yes, relatives yes. <laughs> versus yeah, the other guy. Uh, Jazz drummer, uh, oh. really cool guy, uh, uh, and Bill and 
Graham were partners and mm-hmm. I started going out with them on cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a squeamish soul. I am not someone who, um, you know, likes to, likes to, like my friend Beth Spotswood, who wants to read every serial killer book and go to films. Mm-hmm. You know, when I reviewed Hostel for the Chronicle, um, I was closing my eyes through half of it. Right. I, I, I knew going into this that it was going to be hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also feeling a little desperate, like I had to push my comfort zone mm-hmm. so that I could continue to be employed as a journalist in San Francisco, right. which is what I wanted to be. You know, I so was a few different check- types of challenges. Yeah, into doing this story that was yours, right? You pitched this. I it was, pitched it. It was all I, yours. You know, asked for it. I was getting everything I asked for on both sides, and then I started going out with them. And um, and out with them means you typically called to crime scenes. Started off with, um, yeah, I'd come on their shift and show up, and there's two seats in the van, so I would sit on a a box that was actually the box that f- was filled with the body bags. <laughs> And I'd sit on the body bag box, you know, back with the corpse if I was going with sure. with, with two of them. And, and then they were very cool about offering me the front seat, but I didn't take <laughs> it every time. Um, and I started going on calls with them. And it started, you know, I got tours and I kind of got their confidence. And then they let me go out on essentially ride-alongs where I'm there when they get the call. They go out, they deal with the cops and uh, and... It was a lot. I mean, uh, as you can imagine, um, San Francisco, the most common uh, scene that you're going to see is like an SRO, Mm -hmm. uh, a heroin addict. Mm -hmm. I think the first one I went out on was uh, fifth or sixth floor of an SRO. It was high up. They were grumbling because they knew they'd have to carry the body down and the elevator wouldn't be working. I think it was on 6th Street, you know, Mm -hmm. not too far from Toulon. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and show at least, up. At least there was an elevator, I'm going to say. I don't know. Yeah, no, Stairs no elevator. They, they oh, were, there was no elevator. There was no elevator. Oh, okay. No, and they were bummed there. I mean, that was their reaction. So corners must have been interesting. The corners were interesting. Corners I, for coroners? I remember Sorry. him telling me that the <laughs> that there were... Um, there were times when they'd go into someone who was like a hoarder or who had oh, had yeah. a lot, and, and they would be bumping their heads on the ceiling. Oh, my trying to drag a body out of a house Yikes. and it was one of the first shocking things is that i just assumed they either were in a hazmat suit or they were like putting vicks vapor rug un- under their <laughs> nose and having all these no they i mean just a lot of purell and gloves mm-hmm. and that was it i mean and they were dressed in these they had these um they looked like a pulp fiction reservoir dogs <laughs> like you know they had the jacket the black tie white shirt mm-hmm. and these guys would come in and do this work with gloves i mean that was it i did that the first one's a heroin addict i remember his body was like locked in rigor mm-hmm. mortis with mm-hmm. a, a needle in his arm with the plunger depressed <laughs> God. and they're going around like inventorying what was in his um place and it was Mm -hmm. like a two liter bottle of sprite and some cookies and i remember them saying looks like he was going to have a little party and it Mm. wasn't like a joke it was right there's just just an observation matter of fact um and i remember there was a a, uh peter rabbit there was nothing on the walls except uh he had his 
you know, bedding there and this food he was going to have, the, the heroin, and then this Peter Rabbit sign hanging from one nail with yarn and mm. it said on it, I, I forget the full quote, but it was, don't get into mischief. Be careful and don't get into mischief. She's like, oh my God, this is this assignment's going to be ripe with metaphors. Right. So, um, so that's what we did. I mean, we did that for a few weeks and, and it was hard. I didn't do many early on. I was hesitant. Check back on Thursday to see where that hesitation took Peter next. That's it for this episode of Storied San Francisco. Our Facebook page is now up. It's Storied San Francisco. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at storiedsf. If you want to email me, it's storiedsf at gmail.com. The website is storiedsf.com. Music is by Joe Bigale. Photographs on the website are by Michelle Kilfeather. Starting tomorrow, November 1st, Michelle's got a great show up over at Burn Norton's Boozeland called Walking to Boozeland. Go check it out and don't forget to tip your bartenders. If you're listening on iTunes, please rate and review Storied San Francisco. Thanks a lot and we'll see you on Thursday for part two.